just as you leave, or you can go online, or you can even stop by the Welcome Center, and they can help you out from there. Uh, but please, uh, we encourage you to join us at the Next Steps membership class. That's going to be at, on September 24th, right after the second gathering. And then Trunk and Treat is on the 25th of October, and uh, there's a couple things I want to share with you about this. One, uh, register your kids. Invite somebody to come up with you in your family as you walk around uh, and, and, and get some candy and just hang out. There's going to be hot dogs and hot chocolate, and it's going to be a really fun evening. It's always a blast. And so that's going to be October 25th. If you would like to be a part of the team that serves at this event, you can also you can bring your tr- your car and decorate your trunk and serve candy. You can help out with concessions. You can also help out uh, with parking. And so if you would like to serve, um, you can go online. You can register, and you can also serve uh, register to serve online. Or you can stop by the table in the lobby, and we'll help get you uh, connected to the right place. And then mark your calendars for Ernie Haas and Signature Sound on the 14th and 15th. On the front page of our website, you can see the link to get tickets and so people are starting to get those tickets and so i encourage you uh go online and you can grab your tickets on our website church would you stand with me here in the house this morning as we continue on um, just worshiping the lord thank you for being faithful and giving you can give online through the offering boxes here or um, through the mail but church thank you for being faithful let's pray and let's just ask god to just continue to speak to us lord thank you for your son jesus um, apart from Jesus, there is no true joy. And so we can sing songs like there's joy in the house of the Lord because we've found the true joy, and that's Jesus. Lord, our family needs Jesus. We need Jesus. Our world needs Jesus. Our world is crying out for a purpose and crying out for a reason to have joy because there's so much chaos. But, Lord, we know that we can find true joy, that we can find true hope, Um, not in our bank account, not in the people that we know, on relationships or stability that's human-made, but only in Jesus Christ can we find hope and purpose and meaning. So God, just calibrate our hearts this morning to the truth. Lord, calibrate our hearts uh, to focus on you this morning. We love you so much, and we thank you for Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Yeah. 
summer here as summer is uh, winding down. I know yesterday was a big day in Union Township, our little township here in which the church exists. We had a community garage sale. There were 40 garage sales yesterday here in, uh, in the town. It was crazy. And uh, it got even crazier because my daughter came over and said she'd like to have a garage sale in front of our house. So, um, so her and her husband came over and they pulled out all their stuff at 6 in the morning. And I was like, just let me stay in bed, please. All right. And uh, so there was a little garage sale out there. We met just about everybody under the sun uh, was coming through yesterday. It was a big, fun day. But I want you to think about this. As I'm going to these garage sales, like I enjoy going to them because I'm always looking for a bargain, right? I'm always looking for something. Typically, it's something for the house. I'm looking to fix up my house. You know, um, I, I bought this house over here on Norman Avenue uh, 20-something, 25, 27 years ago. And I told my wife, you know, this will be our starter home. Well, it's becoming our finishing home, too. Like, we're there. We're there for a lifetime. And, and, uh, and I've been working on that house forever. It's like, that's all I do. I'm, you know, years ago, I had to, a couple years back here, I had to put a new bathroom in upstairs, put a bathroom downstairs. And, and as a matter of fact, we were trying to sell some of that drywall yesterday. I had three leftover sheets of drywall. You know, you do, redo the bathroom and you have three leftover sheets of drywall. What do you do with them? You know, I don't have a truck, so I put them outside, try to get rid of all that. 
But as I watched this yesterday, I saw a lot of people come through, and I saw these people looking, and they're like, everybody's trying to find a bargain. Everybody's trying to fix up their house. Everybody's looking for something to put on their shelf, and you want your house to look nice. You want it to look good. And what we end up doing is we end up spending <clears throat> most of our life working on these houses and fixing them up. So our entire life, uh, is we, we deal with the house. And so today we're going to look in the Scripture about the house that God's building. And look at how God builds his house. You know, in my house, I've done so much work, and I've got so much work that needs to be done. But God has been building a house. And the house that I'm talking about is not this physical building that you see here. Let's jump in here this morning and look at the house that God's building and how that, how that we get to be a part of it. He says, as you come to him, uh, verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices in Christ, uh, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of humbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so in this short few verses here, Peter, speaking to these believers that have been scattered out, that are all over the place because they're running from persecution, they're living in a land that doesn't have the same values that they have at all, he tells them, listen, you've got to realize God's up to something. And what is he up to? First of all, he says, as you come to him, a living stone. That's the key. I want you all to remember that as you come to him. If you want to see life change in your life, It will only happen by coming to him. As you come to him, a living stone. And so when we see this word living stone, what this is, is he's giving you a a construction analogy. And so it's construction talk, and he's talking about these stones. And so why is he talking about stones? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, in Israel, they didn't have much wood. There wouldn't be a whole lot of two-by-fours and wood running around the place that they, could, uh, that they could be building with. As a matter of fact, if you go there today, my understanding, it is still mostly stone. So most of the buildings were stone, built of stone in those days. And so even whenever you think about Jesus as a carpenter, you've heard that Jesus is a carpenter. Uh, we have scriptural references where it says, aren't you the son of a carpenter? Aren't you just a carpenter? They would say to Jesus. Well, the word for carpenter is tecton in the Greek. And it can mean multiple things. You can translate it as carpenter, which means to work with wood, right? You can translate it as handyman. You can translate it as somebody who is a physical laborer of stone. 
So taking up and picking up stone. I want you to think about Jesus, how, how fit he must have been working with stone. He was a hands-on laborer. And, uh, and so Jesus, not only did he work with wood, because wood was on limited supply, he likely worked a lot with stone. And Peter, as he's telling you this, he has in mind not only the fact that wood is on limited supply, he's giving you this idea about the temple. The building of the temple which Peter had in mind was the material that was used in the day was stone to build it. So whenever he's talking through this and he's giving this, I want you to visualize with me this giant stone temple that was built where the people came to worship God. And it was all this stone. And he says that Jesus is a living stone. And if you're taking notes following along on the back of your bolt in there, that's the first point there. Jesus is a living stone. And so what is he talking about a living stone? When you think of a living stone, you think of, uh, you don't think of any stone as alive. You think of it as strong. You think of a stone as solidarity, a rock. You think of something that's stable. But he says here that Jesus is a living stone. Why does he say that he's a living stone? Because Jesus himself was alive was buried, and he rose again the third day. As a matter of fact, there was a revelation that John had. And if you go into the book of Revelations, you'll see what Jesus was talking about here. God gave to John what the end times would be like. And I'll tell you what, go read the book of Revelation. You'll find out that we're very close to the end times. We're very close to the end. But look at what Jesus said here to John. Look, John says this in Revelation 1.17. He says, when I, John, saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus says, I am alive forevermore. He is a living stone. And not only is he alive, he also holds the keys to eternity is what he says here. And if you are looking to find your way to heaven, it will come through no other way but through Jesus Christ. So Peter, knowing this, he calls Jesus the living stone. He further, in the scripture, we see other authors in in the Bible use this word of stone, of a rock. 1 Corinthians 10.4, the Apostle Paul, look what he says. He talks about the journey of Israel through the wilderness. He says, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Jesus Christ. The, The rock from which the river flowed is Jesus Christ. And so he says, listen, they drank from the rock of Jesus Christ. So he uses this analogy in slightly different uh, terms. You can go back and study that verse. It's very interesting. But Jesus was, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, they were not following uh, just some mere animal sacrifice. They were following Jesus himself. He was the rock. He's stable. And so Peter has given us in chapter 1 here that we've been looking at throughout the last two months. We saw that Jesus is the living hope. I mean, without Christ, we have no hope. I hope that you have found that out, that the, the world is hopeless, but with Jesus we have all the hope that you will ever need. You can build your life on him, for he is that solid rock. He is the living word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Um, John 1.14 continues on and says, 
The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And so I want you to catch that this morning. He had in mind here the living. He's giving you the living hope, the living Word. Now He comes with a third living here. He says He's the living stone. Jesus is the living stone. He is alive. So this, 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 we've got to understand, Jesus as alive is a big, big deal. We have taken it for granted because we have grown up in a culture that has talked about Easter and about Jesus rising from the dead. But let me tell you, that is what changes the world, the fact that Jesus is living. And this is not just some dead orthodoxy. This is not something that is just like, hey, do you have the right knowledge? He is a living stone. He's the living solid rock. And he's not just any rock. He's not just any stone. Because Peter takes it and explains a little bit more. He tells us that Jesus is the, is the cornerstone. Not only is he a living stone, which we're going to see more living stones, but he says that Jesus is the cornerstone. So what does the cornerstone mean? Look here, he says, You yourselves, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So there's this house that God is building. We're going to come back to that. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion, that's Jerusalem, a stone, a cornerstone and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He says here that Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? We don't really understand that too much. Maybe if you're a bricklayer, you may have a better understanding of a cornerstone. But I think that in, uh, to understand it, we have to do a little bit of homework on it. The Dictionary of Bible Imagery, a Biblical Imagery. I'm going to read to you a little bit what the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery shares about a cornerstone says that the cornerstone is the principal stone around which construction in antiquity was achieved. And we can throw a picture up there, all right? The cornerstone is the principal stone around which the construction in antiquity was achieved. In the lexicon of biblical images of architecture, no image is more evocative than the cornerstone, the focal point of a building, the thing on which it most depends for structural integrity. Thus, early in the catalog of God's acts of creation, in Job 38.6, the divine voice from the whirlwind asked regarding the world, who laid the cornerstone of the world? Peter, when Peter is talking here and he says, it stands in Scripture, for it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion, what he was talking about, he quoted here Isaiah 28:16, which was given roughly 800 years before Peter's writing this. And as he's giving this, he predicted that God himself predicted that he would lay a cornerstone in Jerusalem, which is the very place where Jesus was crucified, where Jesus rose from the dead, where Jesus made his appearance to more than 500 people. Eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus after he rose again from the dead. What was going on? Jesus was the cornerstone. God laid the foundation. And look what he says here. He says that the honor is for you who believe. So when you believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, 
and he is uh, at living evermore, and you place your faith in him, what he did on the cross. He says, the honor is for you because you believe. But what about those who don't believe? He says, for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Very interesting. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey. They, they don't want to hear what the Word says. They really don't care what the Word says because it's all about my feelings, my emotions, me, me, me. They have a different cornerstone. Um, the cornerstone, I want you to catch this. The cornerstone is, is, is mammoth in the, in the temple, and it was laid as a foundation that they could build on. And so the cornerstone, as you come, as, a, as the term implies, the corner, so you would lay the cornerstone down, and it would be perfectly engineered. It would have to be perfectly straight on all sides, so that when you lay the cornerstone down, now you could put a plumb line up against there, and as the plumb line comes up, you would be perfect down to the cornerstone. Um, we have a bricklayer in the church. He's a fabulous bricklayer. Your son, all right? He's a fabulous bricklayer, all right? And, um, and I like talking to him about some of these things because he's, he's even won awards for speed in bricklaying, right? But I'll tell you what. They have a technique, and they have to understand if you are going to build a straight wall, it has to start straight at the bottom. And you have to follow from that bottom all the way up, and this building will look beautiful when it's done. But if you say, you know, I think I just want to go put whatever brick I want in the wall, and I think, you know, it doesn't really matter if the brick's not quite level, if it's not even, you can have a lot of problems. We have our, our old church building over there in library. Um, if you go over there, you'll see they got used brick whenever they built that church over there. It's still standing, but none of the bricks match. They're all different colors. They're, they got used brick. They're, literally, you go talk to Bob Price. He'll tell you the story. Man, 50 years ago, they went out and they got these bricks from buildings that were demolished, and they chipped off all the old mortar, and they came back. And you go, look, some of them bricks are not in too good a shape. But let me tell you this. Jesus is building a house, he says, but the cornerstone of the spiritual house is Jesus Christ. What is the big deal about this? The existence of the cornerstone. I want to give you a little background on the cornerstone. The existence of the cornerstone from the temple complex at the, uh, is still in existence today. So the cornerstone at the temple complex, if you go over to Jerusalem and go to the temple complex, you'll find there's a cornerstone there. And you will find that they have the cornerstone. Now get this, the cornerstone measures 39 feet 4 inches long, 7 feet 10 inches wide, and 43 inches tall. They say that one stone, this one stone, weighs 80 tons. And that's not even the biggest stone. Uh, as you know, the temple went through many revisions. The temple had gotten knocked down by, by, the, the, uh, by the Babylonians and by other people through the years. And so there's this term, the stone that the builders rejected. Now, I want you to catch this because he says... For those that don't believe Jesus, for those that are not followers of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is an offense to them. He says that he is the stone that the builders rejected. So what is the stone that the builders rejected? Like, that's a pretty good analogy, but let me give you the background of the stone that the builders rejected. The stone that the builders rejected, which lies under the temple mount today, it's still part of the temple. It has a unique history. 
When Solomon was building the first temple to God, there was to be no noise. The stones were to be hewn in the quarry and brought to the place of construction. One of the stones was the largest stone ever taken out of a quarry. It weighed about 500 tons. It's a miracle of engineering that without the use of earth-moving machinery, uh, back in those days, the Israelites were able to haul this rock to the temple site and set it in its place. Now remember, the Israelites, they were slaves for 400 years. They were beat by the hands of the Egyptians. And so they had learned how to work. Do you see how God prepares his people for the work he called them to do? When it was really bad, really bad, they could not understand it. And later on, these were the hardest working people that could figure out how to do this without the modern machinery that we have today. Plus, the hand of God gave them the wisdom and the strength to do that. 500 tons, I can't even imagine how you would get just people to move that. Uh, once, once there, the builders, once they brought the, the rock over to the place, um, the builders weren't sure what to do with it. Now, remember, this thing is perfectly engineered. I mean, these guys did an incredible job as they carved it out. But it didn't seem to fit anywhere in the blueprints for the temple. So the builders pushed it over the temple mount into the Kidron Valley, and there it lay. Later, they realized their mistake, and as they're building the temple, they haul it back up again. They placed it in the foundation of the temple, and it remains on the western wall of the temple mount to this day. This, uh, it lies close to the location of the Holy of Holies in the temple. In Jesus' time, everyone in Israel knew about this stone. So when Jesus refers to himself as the stone that was rejected, they understood. The builders had rejected. All the Jewish kids growing up, they understood that Jesus, uh, what Jesus said when he was talking about this because they all knew the story about the stone, this massive stone that the builders said, we don't know what to do with it, we'll let it go over there. And weeds grew up around it, and for years nobody knew what to do with it until finally they came back and go, oh, we know what to do with it. Later in, uh, it's a, uh, later in Ezra's day when the temple was rebuilt, and subsequently, when Herod improved the structure, the stone remained in place. So when Jesus talks about that stone, those people knew exactly what he was talking about. And when Peter tells us, so I want you to catch us. Here's the deal. What is so important about the cornerstone? On Christ the solid rock I stand. There is no other ground you can place your life on. So what does that mean? If I'm putting a plumb line down to the foundation. It means everything else has got to line up with Jesus. Everything has to line up with Jesus. As a follower of Jesus Christ, this means in my life that my life must now line up with what Jesus said and what he taught. If Jesus loved you enough to go to the cross and give his own life so that you could have eternal life, do you think he's going to ask you to do something that's going to harm you? Listen, I've got to line up. And this is, this is the problem in our world today, folks. Our world does not want to line up. Why did they reject Jesus? Because they had a different cornerstone. They had the cornerstone of religion. They said, you don't fit into our building. So when they looked at Jesus, Jesus, you don't fit in. And the way that we are, our plumb line is going down and looking for something different. We have the law of Moses. 
And then we have these hundreds of commands that we've added on top of the law of Moses. Like, you can't walk on the grass on the Sabbath. And so we have all these commands. And, and Jesus, you just don't line up. You don't match the plumb line that we have. And it's a different plumb line. It's not the Messiah. They weren't looking for the Messiah as they saw him. They were looking for a religious man. They were looking for somebody that would play religion. And he didn't match up. And you know what happens today in our world? The world today does not have Jesus as the cornerstone. You see, folks, if Jesus is the cornerstone, everything that we do will be drawn off the life of Jesus. And it will come up and it will match into your life and you'll say, okay. And so what this means is as I look at the life of Jesus and I look at the teachings of Jesus, this means that sometimes there's parts of me that has to change. It means that I look at this and say, my life is not like the attitude of Jesus. My heart, I'm not responding in forgiveness like Jesus did. So therefore, I've got to, I got to come and I've got to give that to Jesus. How I handle my money, my money, I've got to handle my money according to how Jesus did. How, what I do with my time, what I do with my sexuality, what I do with my money. With, with, with my thought life, everything, it's got to come to Jesus. And so, and so here's what happens. We want to build the building. And we say, well, God wants you to do whatever you want to do. He just wants you to be happy and feel loved. That's not what God said in his word. Folks, we're living in a world today that does not have the cornerstone. And they're missing the cornerstone. And people all over our world are confused. And I say this with the, with the most compassion of hearts. That we have a world that does not understand that Jesus is the cornerstone. You can go build your life. And Jesus said if you build your life on anything else, it is sinking sand. But if you build your life on the cornerstone, and now it means that I'm going to change what I do with my time. I'm going to change what I do with everything. We live in a world right now that is so confused. And you know what? It doesn't anger me. It breaks my heart. Because the world says, do whatever you want and feel good about it. And that leads to destruction. Uh, Proverbs 14.22 says, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. So if I live life by how I feel and make decisions based on my happiness and what's good for me, guess what happens? I'm out of line with the cornerstone. And I'm leading to destruction. And so I want to encourage you today, don't be alarmed because the world doesn't understand this. Don't be alarmed because you've been rejected. Don't be alarmed if people reject the message of Jesus Christ today because they don't understand the cornerstone. The cornerstone. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is seeking sand. I've got to make him the cornerstone. He's not just a stone. He is the cornerstone. So this, this changes everything about my life. And I want to encourage you folks as followers of Jesus Christ to make Jesus the cornerstone of your life. And as you come, you'll be able now to interpret the things of this world and start to understand why there's confusion over everything. The laws of our land are rapidly changing. Do not be alarmed. Peter didn't tell these people that were in a godless society under the hand of Nero to be alarmed one time. Do not be alarmed, my friend. Live your life by the cornerstone. 
Do not be afraid. Do not be alarmed. And do not treat people with ignorance. Go out there and be what he says here to be the high priest. We're going to look at that in just a a little bit. He says you're a royal priesthood. But I want to encourage you this morning, my friends, listen, with all the, the compassion and humility, I have to tell you, if there's something in your life that's not lining up with the cornerstones and you call Jesus your Lord, you've got to surrender that. And folks, I... My heart, I watch people in so many things. You know, just about all the problems of this world and all, many of the problems that I counsel through could save, be summed up in this. Line up to the cornerstone. Don't line up to your own thoughts, to your own feelings, to your own ways, to your own way that you think is right. Come back to the cornerstone. And Jesus says here that not only is he the cornerstone, but we find out that Jesus is building us into his spiritual house. He is building us into the spiritual house. Look here. He says, so you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And we're going to get to that in just a few moments. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The stone is alive. And you are a living stone. Not only is Jesus a living stone, but he's the cornerstone. We, in the spiritual house that he is building, we are living stones as well. Now, why a living stone? Because the living stone has strength. It has solidness. But it also says that it's alive. I don't know. Maybe you remember when your kids were little and and they had pet rocks. Do you remember that? Pet rocks were a thing back in the day. Remember? I love that. We have a, a dog pet. I'd be all right with a pet rock sometimes, you know what I mean? Pet rocks don't go to the bathroom. They don't bark. You go over and you just look at that pet rock. Oh, it's so nice, you know. That was, those were wonderful. But they're not alive. And God says, you are a living stone built into the house of God. You are a living stone. Not only do you get strength and solidarity and all the all the characteristics of rock, but you're also alive. You know, I've got this gravel driveway, part of my fixer-upper, starter home, whatever, my ending home um, on Norman Avenue. We've had a gravel driveway for all these years. And I'm the last gravel driveway left in Union Township. So anyhow, I pull out, you know, when I peel out of my driveway, as you always go out slowly, right? And that gravel goes on to the road. Let me tell you what happens to that stone. It doesn't walk back into my driveway. It stays on the road. And it stays there till the plow comes by in the middle of January and takes it away, okay? It just stays there, and that's what happens. And so the, we are alive in Christ. We have become living stones. We are alive. We are not just, hey, we got the right answers. We are alive, and we are alive to become this royal priesthood. God is still building his church. God continues to build his spiritual house. He, the church, we are the church. The building is not the church, we are the church. And he continues to build his spiritual house. And as he continues to build the spiritual house, he has laid you into the spiritual house. Another brick in a wall. You heard that song, right? Another brick in a wall. But you didn't hear that from the pastor in today's sermon, right? You are another stone, a living stone. God continues to build his spiritual house. 
There was a lady that was uh, born uh, that was in the late 1800s. Her name is Sarah Winchester. Sarah Winchester was the heir to the Winchester um, Winchester fortune, as you heard of the Winchester rifles and the, the different guns. Uh, she was heir to that. At 19, in 1886, she uh, began to build a building, and you can look this up. It's known as the Winchester Mystery House. What happened was she had inherited $20 million. Now, $20 million today is a lot of money, but it was a whole lot of money in 1886. So she inherited this $20 million, and, you know, obviously you can imagine she's trying to figure out what do I do with the rest of my life, where's my purpose, what am I going to do. And so she gets a hold of a medium, and the medium tells her that you need to uh, build a house, and as long as you keep building and adding on to this house, you will not die. You'll live forever. In 1922, she died. But from 19, I'm sorry, from 1886 to 1922, her construction seemed endless. It just was, it was, it never stopped. She always was hiring people to build onto this house. She took an eight-room farmhouse and it grew into one of the most unusual, incredible mansions, featuring 24,000 square feet, 10,000 windows. I can't clean 10 of them, yet alone 10,000. 2,000 doors, 160 rooms, 52 skylights, 47 stairways and fireplaces, 17 chimneys, 13 bathrooms, and 6 kitchens. It was built at a price tag of $5 million over her lifetime. In 1923, it was $5 million. In today's world, that would be the equivalent of $71 million. She kept building and building and building for the wrong reason. She still does. God continues to build his spiritual house, and he's been building it for 2,000 years. And you are part of the spiritual house. If you have trusted Jesus Christ, you are part of the spiritual house, and you must line up to the cornerstone. And as you line up to the cornerstone, this is how the building works properly. We come and we get all of our commands. Everything comes off the cornerstone. Not how I feel. Not what I desire. It's no longer about you. It's no longer about me. It's about the cornerstone. It's about Jesus. So as you trust him and he places you into his life, uh, and into his house, I want you to see there, because he says he built you to be a royal priesthood. Uh, that's number four in your notes. He has built us to be a royal priesthood. So he takes it off the building and goes to the, to the function now. He says you're to be a royal priesthood. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What is he talking about? When you think of a priest, what typically comes to your mind is a guy with a black and white clothing on, a collar, and he's blowing smoke everywhere. That's what comes to your mind. I'm just being honest, right? That's what comes to your mind. But that's not what came to the mind of God. You know, there's a, a Latin word that helps us understand what a priest really was, what it really meant to be a priest. The Latin word for priest means a bridge. It means a bridge maker, to make bridges, to help people get across the bridge. Jesus is known as our high priest. He is the bridge maker. Look at this here. He is the bridge maker. And we are called to be royal priesthood like he is. 
So let's start with what Jesus did. How did he make the bridge? Here's people on one side. We are trying to get to God. I mean, we, we are doing everything we can, and it's not good enough. We can't make it across the chasm to get to God. Our sin has separated us from God. All those things where were, were, were we don't align up with God's word, with his plan, with his holiness, we've offended this holy God. And God's on the other side of the chasm while Jesus Christ was the bridge maker. He came down, and he is our great high priest. He bridged the gap. So as you understand this, You've got to look and say, how do we make the bridges today? Folks, I want to give this to you. If you're here today and you've not opened your heart to Jesus Christ, the scripture says, behold, now is the time and today is the day. He says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever will. That's you. That's me. If we will trust that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again, then what we are doing is you're walking across the bridge that Jesus provided by his sacrifice. And so he tells us that as a follower of Christ, you are a royal priesthood. What does that mean? That's a little, that's like, whoa. It means that every believer is a royal priesthood. If you trust in Christ, not just the people who work at churches, everybody is called to be a bridge builder, the bridge maker. Hebrews 7.25 tells us what our high priest does for us. Therefore, this is talking about Jesus, Hebrews 7, 25, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Christ is interceding for you and I. That means he's going before God the Father and he's saying, God, would you please, Father in heaven. So, I mean, he's God the Son talking to God the Father. He says, Father in heaven, My people down there in Finleyville. Pastor Ken's given the word today. God, would you let it sink in, Father? And so he's taken it before the Father. He's ever interceding on our behalf. Romans 8 says this, Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father, right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. So, so what does this mean? The Old Testament priest, the Old Testament priest here has, this is what the artist's depiction of an Old Testament priest would look like. Their clothing was very specific. They would have to go back in and they would have to go and intercede for the people. And one of their big Jewish holidays is coming up next week, this next Friday. It's called Yom Kippur. That's the Day of Atonement. And so this is the day that the Jewish priest would go in and he would stand in the Holy of Holies and he would intercede on behalf of the people. And he would say, look, they've taken the the sacrifices of the people. Uh, Look, the people have made their sacrifices. And he would take the blood offering back into the Holy of Holies. Well, Jesus did that as our great high priest once and for all forever. I don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Aren't you thankful for that? Listen, all I do is put my faith in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He paid for my sin. And my great high priest went into the Holy of Holies. But what is on his, on his breastplate there? It's known as an ephod. And if you look at this recreation of what it might look like there, scriptures tell us that on the ephod were 12 precious jewels, each one representing 
one of the tribes of the nation of Israel. And each one of them had the name of the tribe inscribed on it. So when the high priest went before God the Father, you realize what he was doing? The high priest was saying, this is the chosen. This is your special possession. This was, these were made out of precious stones, the most expensive stuff that they could get. And you go through the scriptures and you read them all. Like this was the prized possession. You get around a woman with a diamond, you'll know about a prized possession. Us men don't understand that. But you women, you look at that. You look at it. You look at it. And all your life, it's on your hand and you look at it. God says, this is my prized possession. And it wasn't the precious stones. It was the 12 tribes of Judah, the, the chosen nation. So God says, if you go and you can look this up later, that uh, he said in Deuteronomy 7, I did not choose you because you were great. I chose you because I chose to love you. And he shows them. And folks, that's what God did for us. And today, you know, there's many promises to Israel that God will continue to fulfill. But as our high priest, you know what's on the ephod of Jesus? It's your name. You. So when God the Father looks down, he sees you. He sees, he sees under the blood of Jesus Christ is covered each one who has trusted Jesus Christ. And there's now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, that are on the ephod as the Father looks up, at, as, as the Son looks up to the Father. And he says, Father, be with your people. Father, be with your church. And what God is doing is he's looking at his prized possession. You are the prized possession of God. That's what Peter says. He says, you are now the, his very own possession. And then, so what does that mean that we're royal priesthood? The high priest prays. And you should too. When's the last time you interceded for anybody? Maybe you're teaching one of our little kids' classes. You intercede? You take that up before the Father? As you pray, how about moms and dads in this auditorium? You pray for your mom. I pray for your kids. You pray for your kids. You know, on my ephod before the Father, when I come before the Father, and that's my job, I'm a royal high priest, and so are you. This is not the church function. This is the function of every believer. When I go before the Father, guess what I get? God sees on my ephod. He says, Grace. He sees Carol. He sees Rhonda. He sees everybody in the church that I've been praying for. He sees people that I've been praying for for years that walked in the doors all of a sudden. And God is moving. And it's like, God, this is, how, this is how this works. I'm a bridge maker because I'm coming to the Father on behalf of these people. And I want to encourage you, would you step up to be the royal priest that God's called you to be? Would you pray for your parents? Some of you have unbelieving parents. Some of you have unbelieving kids. You have unbelieving neighbors. Listen, right now they're offended by the stone because they say the stone makes me want to change my life. The stone makes me want to... I don't want to do what the stone says. I don't want to be like the cornerstone. It is breaking your heart. And folks, the only way that we're going to build that bridge is not by being ignorant, but by doing what the priest did. Oh, Father God, Father God, would you take these people? And my heart breaks and my heart is broken 
for lost people who need Jesus. And God says, not only did Jesus die on the cross, but there'll be a sacrifice of your time to do this. It's going to require commitment. It's going to require a life of holiness being set apart unto God. Let God shine the flashlight in every area of your life while you're lined up to the cornerstone and be the royal priesthood. Folks, as long as you're alive, your job's not done. God wants you to be the royal priesthood and cry out to the Father for your kids, for your grandkids, for your great-grandchildren, for the next generation that hasn't even arrived, for our land in which we live. Man, I'm praying for our land. I'm praying for people all over the world. I'm saying, God, would you bring people to Jesus? And you know what God does? He sees that. You know what the ephod is? Where's it at? It's covering your heart, isn't it? And this is the very heart of God because you are on his heart. Let's close in prayer. God values you so much. You're on the ephod of Jesus. Oh, what a powerful thought. I can't can't get over that. I'm not on the ephod of Jesus because, because I was a good guy. I'm on the heart of Jesus because he chose me to be on there. And that's what God did for you. And I want to encourage you today. You're hearing the good news of Jesus. If you've not yet stepped across the bridge, would you do that today? I know I've said a lot of things that may be somewhat confusing. I want to encourage you to come back. I want to encourage you to to keep learning about the things of Christ. And keep letting him get into your heart and soul. But maybe today is your day. The scripture says, behold, now is the time. Behold, today is the day. And I want to encourage you to open your heart and trust Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross and he paid for your sin. And if that's you today, just pray something like this to God. Just say, dear Jesus, I need you. I am a sinner. And I humbly turn from my sin today to you. And I trust that you died on the cross, that you were buried, and that you rose again the third day. God, I invite you into my heart and soul right now. Thank you, God, for placing me into your building, into your spiritual house. God, help me with my life as I grow now to line up with the cornerstone. And for others in this place this morning, maybe you've been following Jesus for some time and God's spoken to you. Who's on the ephod that's covering your heart? Who's the precious jewels of your life? Is it your mom or dad? Is it your brother, your sister? Is it your kids? Is it a neighbor? Is it a little kid in the church? Who's God laying on your heart? I want to encourage you. Let's start today with the very priority of Christ. Being an intercessor for those who need Him the most. Father God, I thank You so much that You love me. I thank You that You love every person in this room. God, I thank You that as we look out into this world, this world is upside down, it's crazy, but You and You alone our God. 
And I'm so thankful that we have the cornerstone by which I can live my life. And I don't have to worry about anything else. All I know is that you saved my soul. And I'm thankful, Lord. And I pray for those in this room today, Lord, that just opened their heart to Jesus. God, you're, you're transforming. You are going to do something. Surprise us, Lord, this week with what you have done in the hearts and lives of people that are hearing this this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing praise to our God. As you can tell, I'm pretty passionate about Jesus, huh? I am so thankful for the cornerstone. Amen? And I want you to carry out with the same passion of Jesus. Let's sing with passion. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, His Son.